All right. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to Acts chapter 8. There are no bulletins, so you can't look on the back of your bulletin this morning. So Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 26 to 40. It's a very, very interesting story. I think it's going to challenge us today, which is good. Um, It's good. It's good to be challenged by God's word. So Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and he found himself at Azotus. And the eunuch saw him no more and went his way rejoicing. Excuse me. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach this passage, you have something for us here. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for us to learn and to be equipped. And so I pray that we would learn today. I pray that we would also be equipped by your spirit from what you have for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when the spirit comes into someone's life, it changes everything. Back, way back in the book, at the beginning of the book of Acts, um, you know, we're going through our teaching series is alternating between 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and the book of Acts. So obviously we're back in Acts today. And way back in chapter 1, verse 1, Luke tells us the reason why he wrote the book of Acts. Back in Acts 1.1, it says, in the first book, now when Luke says that, he's talking about the first book he wrote, which was the gospel of Luke. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So the purpose for which Luke wrote the gospel of Luke was to deal with all that Jesus began to do and teach. As he walked the earth, what Jesus did and what he taught. The book of Acts is to deal with all that Jesus continued to do and teach 
through his followers who were filled with the Spirit. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, we see on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And his followers, the rest is history, you might say. The rest of the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do through his Spirit-empowered followers. What we see throughout the book of Acts is that the people of God are sent people. They are sent Now, they might be sent across the street or across the continent, but they are sent people. And in other words, the the words of Jesus in John 20, 21 begin to be realized when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. So the early church was an apostolic people, which means, of course, there were apostles, but What I mean by that generally is that they were apostolic in the sense that they were sent people. They had a sense of commission and mission, and they went in the power of the Spirit, sent by Jesus Christ, doing his work and proclaiming his gospel. That's what the Lord's purpose has been all along, for his people to live as those who are sent. And if we read through the book of Acts... And we get lots of, we read lots of interesting stories and get lots of good things out of the book of Acts, but we miss this, we kind of miss the whole point. We miss the big picture of what the book of Acts is about. That God sends his people into the world, right? God sends his people into other countries, across borders, and God sends his people into their neighborhoods and into the workplaces to do the works of Christ and to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So we come to Acts chapter 8. Remember at the beginning of of this chapter, after Stephen has been stoned, something shifts in the mission of the the church. Most of what they were doing centered around Jerusalem. They really hadn't ventured outside of Jerusalem, but with the stoning of Stephen... And Saul's subsequent persecution of the church, it says at the beginning of Acts 8 that the church was scattered. They were scattered beyond Jerusalem. Some went up to Judea. Some went further to Samaria. The the main character of of Acts 8 is Philip. He went up to Samaria. We see later in Acts that some went as far as Antioch. So the church is scattered and Philip makes his way to Samaria. But Philip, understanding the purpose of Christ, wasn't just running for his life. He was scattered with a sense of purpose, and he went proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. He was scattered on purpose, you might say, spreading the gospel. And the effect of his ministry was, was, was profound. He went up to Samaria. So Jerusalem, just north of Jerusalem, is the, the region of Judea, and north of that is Samaria. So Philip made his way to Samaria. And he went proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it says that demons were being cast out of people. The lame were being healed. And many people were being converted to Christ. I mean, his ministry was so profound in this particular city that he was in, that in Acts 8, 8, it says, there was great joy in that city. I mean, isn't that what... I mean, we we want that to be the the effect of our ministry, right? That there's great joy in our homes, in our neighborhoods, 
and through us and God's people in this city, in our city. Later in Acts 8, Peter and John come to Samaria and they pray for the people to receive the fullness of the Spirit. And Samaria experiences what could be seen as kind of a Samarian Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out. God was working powerfully there. And it's in this context that we come to our passage this morning, Acts 8, 26 to 40. And the Lord sends Philip on another errand. He has another errand for Philip. I love this story how it's like the, the Lord told Philip to do certain things and Philip just responded. I think how often in our culture we've kind of got this backwards. We want to send the Lord on an errand for us when we are to be his errand boys and girls going on errands for him. And Philip went on another errand for Christ. He was told to leave his work in Samaria and go to this remote road south of Jerusalem, this wilderness place. What takes place is the conversion of an unlikely person in a very, very unusual way. And this, out, this, outcome, this event was not the outcome of careful human planning, but of divine and supernatural leading. Philip wasn't planning this outreach. The Spirit of God led him in a supernatural and divine way. The man who was converted was from Ethiopia, and he had come all the way from Africa to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he was not, ethnic, he was not an ethnic Jew. He was a proselyte. So he was an Ethiopian who had been converted to Judaism, and he was in Jerusalem to worship. And he's on his way back to Ethiopia. He traveled probably some 500 miles on his way back home. And he's reading in his chariot the prophet Isaiah. And after Philip is told to go to this road, he sees his chariot. And the spirit says to him again, go up and join this chariot. And Philip overhears this Ethiopian reading. He asks him a very important question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, well, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invites Philip up. They have this great conversation over Isaiah 53. The Ethiopian is converted, gets baptized, believes in Christ, gets baptized. I mean, all that God is doing here is amazing. I mean, think of the orchestration of the Spirit here, right? At just the right time, Philip showed up on this road. Now, Philip had to travel a great distance to come from Samaria all the way south of Jerusalem. But at just the right time, he showed up on this road to meet this man that God intended for him to meet. He led him to Christ. This man is on his way back to Ethiopia. It says that this Ethiopian, after he was baptized, he went on his way rejoicing. In other words, he continued. He just went home. Now, we don't know for sure, but some, some of the early church fathers, Irenaeus is one of them, believed that this Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia and was a missionary to his people. It's very likely that he, I mean, he, he continued on his way rejoicing. So he was going home, and if he was rejoicing in the power of the Spirit, he went back, no doubt, and began to spread the word of what had happened to him. So what's the point of this story? What, what is the point of this story for you and I? I mean, why did Luke, the author of the book of Acts, or really the divine author, the Holy Spirit, include this story in the Bible? You ever think about things like that? I mean, the book of Acts is written over 30 years or so. I'm sorry, it covers about 30 years. 
There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of things that happened during that time. Why did this story make it in the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. So it's that we would be, that we would learn and be equipped. This story is in the Bible so that we can profit from it, learn from it, and so that we can be equipped by it. So I, I don't want you just to learn some interesting things. Like, wow, that's, that's neat how God orchestrated that. That's awesome. We want to know that. We want to see that here. But I also want you to leave today feeling like you're equipped to do something from this particular passage. So why is it here? Well, there's probably several reasons. I believe one of, one of the reasons why it's in the Bible is to show us, show you and I, how the Holy Spirit can empower us to evangelize. I believe that this story is in the Bible to help show us how the Holy Spirit can empower us, give us power, guidance to evangelize. Now, I have to admit, whenever I talk about evangelism, I get uncomfortable um, because I don't think I'm very good at it. I, wanna, I want to improve. I want to be better at it. I want to be more effective at sharing my faith or talking with someone one-on-one about Christ and, and seeing them led to Christ. But I, so I want to grow. I want to grow in this. And, and maybe you do too. Jesus said early in his uh, ministry, as he was calling his disciples to him, he called them to himself. I think it was Peter and Andrew. He says, follow me. Maybe it's John and James. I can't remember. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It doesn't say I might. It doesn't say you better become. He said, it's a, it's a promise. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now I use the word evangelize here, right? The story shows us how the Holy Spirit can empower us to evangelize. I use the word evangelize here because that's what this story is about. The word from which we get our English word evangelize is used twice in this passage, both in verse 35 and verse 40. In verse 35, where it says, beginning with the scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. This idea of tell, he told him the good news, that's evangelize. It's the Greek word, euangelizo, it's where we get our word for evangelize. He evangelized him. He, he gave him the good news of Christ. And then in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 40, it says, Philip passed through on his way to Caesarea and preached the gospel. Again, the idea, euangelizo, he evangelized. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So this is about evangelism. Furthermore, Philip is called an evangelist in Acts chapter 21. It's the only other place Philip shows up in the book of Acts. He's called an evangelist. And I, I believe It's the only place in the New Testament where someone specific is given the title of evangelist or the the office, if you will, of evangelist. So Philip has much to show us and teach us. 
So let's jump in. I, I want to just spend the rest of our time talking about how does the Spirit empower us to evangelize or to speak of Christ or to do evangelism? I got three things. First, notice how Philip was responsive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and leading. Philip was responsive to how the Holy Spirit led him and guided him. I see this in three places. First, the opening words of our text in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip is minding his own business. Probably not minding his own business, but he's, he's, he's doing what he feels like God is calling him to do in Samaria. And all of a sudden, angel of the Lord says, leave this place, travel some 30, 40, 50 miles south, which you don't jump in a car back then, right? So, so start walking. It's going to take you a while. Start traveling south and go to this road. It's a desert road south of Jerusalem. And what does Philip do? He gets up and goes. Is anybody else here like, you know, I think maybe I would have this minor debate with God. Like, um, what's south of Jerusalem on the way to Gaza? There's nothing there. But he gets up and goes. He rises and goes. Verse 29, when he gets to the road, it's like the, it's like the angel of the Lord says, go here, and I'll, I'll give you further instruction once you get there. Verse 29, once he gets to the road, and, and there's, this, there's this Ethiopian man in a chariot on the road, it says the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. <clears throat> and then there's a third place, and this is the most unusual, really. It's at the end of our passage. It says, after Philip preached the gospel to this Ethiopian and baptized him, it says the Ethiopian came up out of the water and Philip wasn't there anymore. How'd you like that? It says the Spirit carried him away to another place. The New American Standard says snatched him away. Now, this is not an everyday occurrence, okay? This is, this is not normative, but God did it. And it says, Philip found himself, right? Philip is passive here. The Holy Spirit just carried him, put him somewhere else. And it says, Philip found himself in a certain place. And he just continued on preaching the gospel. Philip was responsive to the Spirit's leading and guidance. He was responsive in a wholehearted way. It's interesting, when, when the Spirit said, said to Philip, now we don't know if this was an audible voice, an inner voice, we don't know for sure. It just says the Spirit said, go up and join this chariot. It says, Philip ran to him. Wholehearted, complete, full response to the Holy Spirit and his leading and guidance. It reminds me of John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples and they run out of wine 
And I love what Jesus' mother Mary says to the servants, right? The, the wedding servants. She turns to them and says, do whatever he says. I remember reading that a couple years ago in my Bible, and I just wrote in the margins, good advice. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Do whatever the Lord says. Now, do you think that it is possible to get guidance like this from the Spirit? For you, an ordinary person. Hint, so was Philip. Philip was an ordinary guy. Right? Do you expect and look for a leading such as this? Now, some suggest, and, and I would even say strongly assert, that to say the Spirit still leads in ways like this is to assault the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. Now, I don't agree with that, but that's a strong assertion. And as people of the book and people of the Bible, and I am one, and I hope you are too, we shouldn't just poo-poo that and disregard that, but we should think, does it assault our stand on the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture? And my understanding of the authority of Scripture is that we are to build our lives day after day after day after day after day, year after year, from the moment we're saved to the moment we go to be with Christ, not on special leadings of the Spirit, but on the authoritative Word of God. All the time. My understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture is that God's Word is sufficient. It gives us all the truth we need to be saved. We don't need to look for anything outside of God's word to be saved. And it gives us all the truth that we need to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. We don't need to look for extra revelation for that at all. But I don't think the Holy Spirit leading and guiding in this way, in a way where he gives us insight into what he wants to do or what he wants us to do, in any way assaults the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. More could be said, perhaps should be said at some point, but I'm I'm not going to spend more time on it right now. The Holy Spirit is a person with a will and desires. The Holy Spirit has a voice and he still speaks. The Holy Spirit has power and he still acts in power. And the same Holy Spirit of God dwells in redeemed children of God. And so it shouldn't surprise us if there are times when we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us to do something. And, and you know, sometimes it's the verbiage that people use that can make some uncomfortable. To say the Spirit told me to do this or to say God put on my heart to do this can mean the same thing. Really. We might just be more comfortable with God put it on my heart to do this. But the Spirit leads and guides in this way. Now, can this be abused? Where some are always saying God told me this, God told me that, and sometimes God apparently tells people bizarre things, even sinful things. Of course, it can be abused. But some of us, and I'll include me, 
are in more danger of quenching the spirit by not looking for and expecting the spirit to lead us like this. That, that's, that's where my danger lies for me. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in the 20, 20th century in London, and he believed in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. He was, he was a champion for that. But listen to what he said. He said, There is no question but that God's people can look for and expect leadings or guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. Many times in the Scriptures and history, men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. And they knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And it transpired that it obviously was his leading. It seems clear to me that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. This week it dawned on me that if Philip from Acts 8 could be transported 2,000 years and brought back from the the dead and transported 2,000 years to today, and he could spend a week with me, or I'm, I'm sorry, I got to spend a week with him. <laughs> what a privilege for him, right? No, I got to spend a week with him. He would be, I, I think he'd be surprised about a lot of things, but, at least, but two came to mind. First, I think he would be amazed that we have a Bible with 66 books. When he walked the earth, he had the Old Testament The New Testament was probably in the process of being written by some, but it wasn't all collected. And he'd walk in my office and say, man, you got like 15 Bibles in your office and you have all of God's words that he meant for his people to have, to build their lives on. You have Genesis through Malachi and also the Gospels, the words of Christ written down. Whoa! And Paul's words, and Peter's words, and John's words, and James' words. That's amazing. Not because he didn't think it was going to happen, but just, you, you got it. I think you'd be amazed by that. And I wonder if we are. Sometimes, oh God, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. I mean, whoa, right here. And we don't even have to sort through, like, was that God or was that dinner last night or was that... We don't even have to sort through that. It's like right here. He speaks. But the other thing I think Philip would be amazed about was how often I ignored the Holy Spirit. And I, don't, I say this with um, sorrow and repentance. How often I go through my day more concerned, more responsive to my feelings and my own thoughts and what other people think and what other people say and what's going on in the world around me than being responsive to the Holy Spirit of God. Philip was a man responsive to the leading of the Spirit. And I would also just say one more thing. We have the scriptures to help give us discernment about what we think the Holy Spirit might be leading us to do. 
Philip was a man responsive to the leading of the Spirit, and, and we ought to be as well. Number two, notice Philip was sent to where there was need. This week, early in the week, as I, as I usually what I do is I just kind of read through a passage I'm teaching on several times, just kind of think about it for a couple of days. And early in the week, as I, as I was doing that, one phrase jumped out at me over and over and over again. And, you know, sometimes I can make something out of nothing in the Bible, like, man, that must be so significant. And then I realized, oh, it's probably really not. I mean, it's significant, but not what I would make it. But there's a phrase in this passage that's given as commentary that I think is significant. I don't think it's just given as topographical information. And it's in verse 26. The angel of the Lord said, go down to this road that leads south from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then it says this. This is is not what the angel of the Lord said to Philip. This is Luke's commentary. This is a desert place. Philip is being used greatly in Samaria. People are being saved in large numbers. The Holy Spirit has fallen on this place. And out of the blue, seemingly, the Lord says to Philip,